Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Hello, Haley. We are finally finishing with HBO's <laughs> In Treatment uh, Season 4 featuring Dr. Brooke Taylor. It's finally here. It's finally here. It feels like it's been a long time. <laughs> Well, it has been. We've we've kind of been recording in fits and starts, which I think is just representative of everything that's going on in the world a little bit. But uh-huh. also, I think we're acknowledging that this is a little bit harder. This is a little bit more complex conversations that we're breaking down. You know, it's not just a fluffy, you know, two hour movie. This mm-hmm. is a lot of stuff for us to to look at. And we've yeah. taken our time in doing that. I think that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like sometimes entertainment is escapism, right? And Mm -hmm. instead of kind of getting into these characters and then getting out, we've gotten into these characters and we've really stayed with them for a really long time. (laughs) Yeah, it feels more like we're in like a semester of school and like really analyzing something over time, which Uh, is is fun. And and we'll get back to fun, fluffy Disney things and movie things um, in 2282. (laughs) But for now, we're we're ready to talk about Dr. Brooke Taylor herself. You know, we've we've done different episodes on each of Dr. Taylor's patients. And now we get to break down uh, really the background of what's been going on for Dr. Taylor this whole time, which mm-hmm. I think gave me some mixed emotions. Some things it was like, oh, okay, well, now I feel maybe a little bit bad about how much we criticized her in previous episodes. But I think also it's just like, hey, sometimes this is what the reality is so when we mm-hmm. you know, meet people in these different contexts is we often don't really know what's going on for them sometimes until weeks or months later. Mm-hmm. Or ever sometimes. Or ever. <laughs> yes. So this time we're going to be breaking down Dr. Brooke Taylor right after this break. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Okay, Haley, so we've been getting to know Dr. Brooke Taylor through... Her work with her patients, Eladio, Colin, and Layla. Mm-hmm. And now we get to know really what's going on for her in her own life. And we got glimpses of that through some of these other relationships that we observed. You know, we knew 
things were going on for her relating to her parents. We knew some things might mm -hmm. be going on with her poor boundaries or drinking behavior. We knew some things were going on relating to her son. We, mm -hmm. we kind of saw some glimpses of that process. We got a lot more detail into all of those things. We did. And I think for me, like I said in the, in the setup, some of it, my initial response was like, oh, okay, not that I change my opinion on the appropriateness, for example, of her mm -hmm. having a, a long-winded phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning with mm -hmm. Eladio, yeah. but now I see some of the context. I say, okay, I see what was going on for this person and why they made this choice. And that always you know, kind of helps you empathize with someone a little bit more when you, when you have a little bit more context into what's yeah. going on for them at the time. Absolutely. And I actually had a consulting session today with an old supervisor of mine, and he used the phrase, understanding does not mean giving permission. And I think mm. that that perfectly sums up kind of what you're speaking to now, which is like, because we understand her struggle and understand why she's answering calls at 2 a.m. and why her boundaries are a little lax and things like that doesn't mean that it's okay that they're happening. And I think that that definitely is the case here with Brooke as we're starting to be like, oh, all right, like now that I'm starting to see what you're going through, it makes a little bit more sense and it's still not okay to kind of jeopardize your patient's mental health because yours isn't yeah. being handled very well. One thing I do want to say is with us seeing how much Brooke is going through, she's not doing that poorly with her patients. Uh, yeah, I would say I would <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. She's still doing pretty poorly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a mixed context now of like, okay, so all this stuff was going on for her in the background. These were the things that were happening while she was, as I think we talked about in the previous episodes, struggling in some of the interactions with her patients, mm -hmm. which, as you said, doesn't make those choices okay. Mm -hmm. It's not okay that she, you know, allowed Colin into her house and had a drink with him. It's not okay that some of the boundary issues that we observed with Colin and Layla but we do understand it a little bit more. And I think one of the things that jumped out for me immediately was Brooke acknowledging how painful it was for her to just exist in her home, mm -hmm. right? The home where, as she described, you know, shadows, I think she said something like shadows and regret mm -hmm. relating mostly to her relationship with her parents. And it's like, okay, now do I kind of get why it was really maybe in her perspective, like nice for her to do her work there and have other people in that space. Mm -hmm. Maybe I get it, but it still probably wasn't great for those professional relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a well-written show. And so like the three characters are chosen very specifically because they bring up anger and drinking. They bring up her child and boundaries, and they bring up forming identity and struggles with caregivers and feeling controlled, which are her three yeah. main things, mm -hmm. or I guess that was five main things, but those three characters really embodied the things that she was struggling with. And yeah, it made it pretty clear that her loneliness and her emotional struggles and her grief were being directly tugged upon by these three specific patients. Yeah, and and we immediately in the first episode with Brooke as the focus see her 
relationship with her sponsor, Rita. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us to kind of lay out some of the differences between, you know, what it means to have a sponsor versus having a therapist, Mm -hmm. which Dr. Taylor did not have. She had a supervisor who obviously is also different. We can kind of lay out all these different roles. And, you know, the, the relationship dynamic between Dr. Taylor and her sponsor, Rita, is a really interesting one, mm-hmm. one that Brooke is using for different purposes, it seems, mm-hmm. um, or maybe wants those purposes to change a little bit. And it's really interesting to see how Rita, her sponsor, responded to that. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is a good juxtaposition to the therapy relationship, right? Because the boundaries aren't as clear. You're not coming over in the middle of the night and hanging out. You're not going for visits. You're not general. This is a general statement. Going to birthday parties or graduations or things like that, sharing family life. Whereas with a sponsor, your lives become a little bit more intertwined sometimes. And you are sharing those experiences. And that's friendship. And Brooke has this hard moment with Rita where she says, well, you serve a specific purpose. You're not my friend. And understandably, Rita gets hurt by that. And I was like, well, she does serve a specific purpose and she's your friend, right? If if it was a therapist with, a, with good boundaries, that relationship serves a very specific purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we should clarify, at least my understanding of their relationship is that they met in an AA meeting, mm-hmm. right? So they were not necessarily actually friends before the sponsor-sponsee relationship was established. No, I think the way that Brooke said something like, oh, when I saw you at that first meeting, I saw yes. a person that I would want to be Someone or something like that. Yeah. Yep. That makes it seem like that was the first moment she laid eyes on her. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so with that context, and certainly friendships can grow yeah. between sponsors and sponsees. There's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with that. But I think we're, we're acknowledging that the boundaries between those relationships got blurred for them. Mm-hmm. And then it became difficult for Rita to still be that sponsor that in many cases, like holds their sponsees accountable uh-huh. when there's a relapse or when there are issues with sobriety, where that's not something that a friend does. And I think Dr. Taylor was looking for what she defined as a friend. In other words, someone who is going to be there for her and they can just be themselves without the accountability, without the what Brooke kind of experienced as judgment. Yeah. And I think that's what's so tough about that is that she does serve a specific purpose, right? Her role is to check in about are you drinking? And if you're not, let's talk our way through it, right? She says at one point, basically, like, I have a step-by-step guide of how I'm supposed to handle this. Friendship doesn't come with a step-by-step guide. So there's Mm -hmm. this fine line between what is her responsibility versus what is her, I don't know, role as as somebody who is friendly with Brooke. And -hmm. basically what Brooke says is, I don't want you to have these boundaries with me. I just want you to or these, these requirements of me. And Rita's like, they're not requirements, they're boundaries. And then, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, Brooke is like, I'm kind of sick of boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we know. Yep. <laughs> I think that's really hard is when we keep using the word, like, what's the line? Basically, what's the boundary between yep. sponsor and friend? Yep. And it gets hard for them in that conversation. And basically what 
Brooke says the boundary is, is accountability for her addiction behaviors. Yeah. And and so so let's take this moment here to kind of lay out some of these differences. And especially even as compared to a therapist, mm-hmm. right? So we have a sponsor, we have therapist. And in the case of Paul, we have supposedly a supervisor, right? Who's another yeah. person that, at least in the context for Dr. Taylor, right, has this other person that she's also supposedly accountable to or also has this other support person. Yeah, I think he has to be a former supervisor, right? Because she's a fully licensed therapist and she works for herself. So she wouldn't have right, a so it's Right, so it's not a relationship where she's required to meet with him, yeah. right? But he was formerly... Yeah, exactly. Like, it does seem like other people's understanding of their relationship is like, why don't you guys talk anymore? So obviously, there was a period in which maybe they were meeting more consistently, or Brooke was using him for kind of support and consultation more consistently. And now that's not happening. Yeah, which definitely happens, right? I just mentioned earlier, like, I met with a former supervisor. Yeah. 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 So that's not totally out of the norm. But it is important to kind of break down what kind of support Brooke would be able to expect to get from these different people. So we have Rita, who's the sponsor. They've known each other for 10 years. Uh, They met in an AA meeting. If you're not familiar with AA, that is pretty typical, if not almost required in certain AA circles, that if you're going to participate and do the steps, that you do it with a sponsor, someone who has done them before and has helped other people navigate them. And I think uh, Rita even acknowledges something like, when this is what I'm supposed to do when a sponsee relapses. These are the literal steps I'm supposed to follow in this instance. So that is, you know, at least the initial setup of what a sponsor is for, to help someone navigate the steps. And the steps are pretty uh, strictly drawn out to help someone build their recovery Uh over time. Mm -hmm. And then we have, obviously, the difference between a sponsor and a therapist is is really laid out really nicely in some of these episodes in the sense that I think you mentioned this as well. A sponsor is not coming into your house. Mm -hmm. They're not making you put your alcohol bottles out on the sink. They would give you homework in some similar ways that a sponsor might. You're saying a therapist is not coming over to your house like that? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you know therapists that are making house calls and, uh, <laughs> you know, emptying out garbage cans. I, I don't. Yeah. No, you just had said this, your sponsor is not coming over and doing that. And so I was clarifying. Oh, did I? I mixed yeah, it up. Yeah. Okay. So a sponsor, as Rita, clearly does that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And in, in my work with people in addiction and in people who have been in AA, not all sponsors do that as well, but it seems clear that Rita and Brooke have, to a certain degree, mutually agreed that this level of accountability was going to be appropriate for them, at least at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that now Brooke is kind of deciding that she doesn't want that kind of support right now. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled a little bit with that particular moment where she like made her line up the bottles. Yep. Cause her, one of her lines was, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. And I'm like, you're literally intentionally shaming her. <laughs> um, like show them all to me. Yep. And I don't know if it's as a therapist or as a person, or if I can even separate the two, but I really struggled with that because there is definitely accountability. You know, there are ways to like hold someone accountable of like, like, hey, look, I can see there's a full trash can here of empty bottles. But the like oh, pulling sure. them out yeah. and laying them out on the table, I like wasn't sure if that was how it is done, you know, in certain groups or 
you know, like truly take inventory of literally all the bottles you drank or mm -hmm. anything like that. Yeah. But I pretty, pretty much struggled with because that felt a little bit shamey to me, which then when she was putting them back in the recycling bin, Rita picked one up and handed it to her to help her. And Brooke went, mm -hmm. thanks. Right. So it's almost like so now yeah. when she does reach out to help her, it feels shaming again. Because the sure. taking them yep. out in the first place did. So that was tough. But I also, again, the relationship is different. So maybe that's how they interact with each other. And there's no like rules or, or I mean, no rules that I know of or guidelines of like exactly how to do it. Well, right. Like Rita acknowledges, there are sort of broad guidelines. Here's how to best support mm -hmm. someone who goes through a relapse. But and, and this is in some ways similar to what it's like to be a therapist. There mm -hmm. is no one way. There mm -hmm. is no one approach. There is no one specific set of rules on how to operate. Yeah. Obviously, there are sort of broad <laughs> expectations <Guidelines>. and, and <laughs> yeah. even ethics and guidelines, of course. Uh -huh. But I think, you know, that that's where you're going to get some of that personal touch. And that's what I think when you're establishing a relationship with a sponsor, much in the way you establish a relationship with a therapist, you kind of lay out those goals. You lay out what your needs mm -hmm. are. You know, here's what I need from you as my sponsor or here's what I need mm -hmm. from you as my therapist. So there definitely are some similarities. And it's clear that this relationship has been working for so long, probably because of their sort of mutually agreed upon needs. Yeah. Totally. They're very direct with each other. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the sort of conflict that they're experiencing is all pretty much a result of Brooke's changes that she is going through in her life, yeah. right? Between struggles with the loss of her parents, struggles mm -hmm. with wanting to reconnect with her son. Obviously, yeah. the drinking is, is a main part of their relationship. But mm -hmm. there are a her lot of layers to the... Yeah, exactly. And and Rita, you know, kind of comes out and, and calls that relationship out yeah. in a very, uh, very much a way that we talked about before recording that a therapist wouldn't be able to do that. Oh, they would, <laughs> but it would be unlike a therapist wouldn't, to yeah. kind of, right. You know, it, you know, you wouldn't see a therapist, let's say, confront a patient in the style that Rita confronts Brooke. Yeah. Not for many that for, I know. For several yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think as we're talking about this, like the difference between sponsor and a therapist, the way that I wrote it in my notes was for a sponsor, the way that Rita represents it, the booze comes first, the pain comes second. And I think for a therapist, mm -hmm. the pain comes first and the booze comes second. Totally. Rita comes in and she's like, you've been drinking. Let's lay it out. I see that you're in pain. Look at all these bottles. Yeah. Um, and my reaction yep. is, screw the bottles. Like, she's in pain. Let's figure that out. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's right. the difference, right? Like, I'm not her yep. sponsor. I am a therapist and, and looking at it from a therapeutic mindset in this case. But even when I'm being a friend, I'm very different. If I yep. am talking to my friends and they, I don't know, share something about a guy that's not treating them well or something like that, I'll be like, girl, he sucks. <laughs> I probably wouldn't yeah. say that, but <laughs> but I would definitely never say that to a patient, right? I would say like, what is right, it about this person that you like or mm -hmm. things like that? But where the struggle comes in for Brooke and Rita is when Brooke decides that she wants the boundaries to change and the relationship to change. And that's why as a therapist, it's really important to have agreed upon 
boundaries because it's not the same as other relationships. Yeah. Intentionally, right? And and in a way that we hope becomes healthy for the person, right? If you can clearly Mm -hmm. talk about what you expect and what you can expect and what you want and what you need and talk about where that can and cannot be met within a relationship, if you can do that in therapy, Mm-hmm. Imagine if you could do that outside of therapy, which interestingly enough, Brooke does at one point and Adam basically like shames her for being such a good communicator. <laughs> it was like super interesting. He's like, yes. you notice yeah. the problem, you acknowledge the problem, you apologize for the problem. <laughs> and I was like, that's yeah. that's great. That's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, sometimes I'll I'll draw the distinction in similar ways that I do when people ask like what's the difference between therapy and coaching, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that, you know, when you're working with a coach or a sponsor, the coach is basically saying, I know like the answers or the skills or the the lessons uh-huh. or the the right actions to take, either because I've done it or I've taught other people to do it or both. Mm-hmm. And and in many cases the coach or the sponsor is the relationship is like to the patient or the sponsee, like you don't know. So I'm going to teach you or show you mm-hmm. or coach you to figure it out along the way. Mm-hmm. Whereas the relationship with the therapist is much more collaborative. You know, the, mm-hmm. the therapist is much okay. more likely to be of the mindset of you, the patient, you do know, and I'm going to help you find it. And we're going to help you kind of uh, develop the insight that you already have within you. And, and it's yeah. a much more collaborative patient led in many mm-hmm. cases, working relationship. Yeah, that's interesting. Because this is something that I have been thinking about in my own life recently. And the way that you framed it actually was beautiful. So there's been times where I've I've kind of thought, you know, as I'm describing the theory that I work from, if it's done this way, you will see change. <laughs> and so I've been like, mm, yeah, I've sometimes I'm like, am I kind of preaching? Mm. And I've struggled with that. But the way that you kind of described it is I don't tell the person like, this is exactly how it's done. Like, here's your here's the answer you're looking for. Right. Yeah. Like, I kind of collaborate with them and I say you tell me what experiences you're willing to have and the ones that you're not willing to have. You tell me the things that you value, the things that you don't value. For instance, if I were working with Brooke simply about her pain, not about her substance use, but about her pain, if she said to me like, I'm fine with drinking, it's not affecting my life, that doesn't bother me at all. I would say, okay, great. If you like that portion of your your life, yeah. yeah. And I think, again, like if you're a sponsor, particularly around drinking, like you're not going to be okay with that, which eventually happens with Rita, right? Eventually she says like, I can't do this because I can't watch you do this. Or if you're a coach, you might say like, like, nope, that's not how it works. This is the exact algorithm. That's right. Yeah. And and Rita, I think, rightly calls out the dynamic and the way it turns into a sort of hostage situation where... Mm. Brooke wants all of the benefits and the support of having Rita in her life Mm -hmm. without having to worry about the things that Rita is supposed to hold her accountable for. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, that's asking Rita for a very different kind of relationship. And Rita, again, appropriately acknowledges that she doesn't know either how to do that, if she can do that effectively and and Mm -hmm. helpfully. And, and what it's going to be like for her. And I think that that eventually she she kind of realizes that, 
no, she can't do that. She can't watch her, not only her sponsee, but also her friend. Um, I think she kind of describes it in a dark way, like, you know, spiral or kind of ruin her life or whatever she was, however she described it. Yeah. And, you know, I think we have to be kind of happy for Rita that she was able to set that boundary if that's what she felt like Mm -hmm. she needed to do. Yeah, I completely agree. I think people often use this kind of language about like ultimatums or conditions or requirements as though there are things that are like not allowed in, in friendships or in loving relationships. And what Rita does is she said, they're not conditions, they're boundaries. And I cannot scream this loud enough from the rooftops. It is okay to have boundaries in relationships and friendships. You are not obligated to put up with somebody else's BS. Like we said earlier. Just because they've known you for 10 years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, understanding does not mean you have to give permission. You can Mm -hmm. understand that somebody is struggling and not allow them to treat you poorly. Love and friendship does not have to come at the expense of yourself. Now, that being said, in relationships, we're always going to give a little. We're always going to say like, okay, I know he had a bad day. And so the fact that he yelled at me is okay. Or, you know, like, okay, we don't have to talk about this right now or something like that. However, I think having boundaries of no, you have bad days every day and you yell at me every day. Like this is a boundary mm-hmm. or no, we're not going to never talk about your drinking, Um, you know, in, in this case. And I think that that's really powerful that we have this person who's not a therapist and doesn't have training almost doing therapy better, <laughs> which was kind well, of interesting. And, and I think you pointed out, yeah, something important is that Rita is – in many ways, giving therapeutic support at the very oh, yeah. least to mm-hmm. Brooke, right? And the way that she's asking really good, appropriate questions, she's reflecting back feelings that Brooke mm-hmm. is expressing, either overtly or, um, you know, subtly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess my, my fear in the way and how good Rita was is you're typical sponsor is someone who is not a trained therapist and is not Mm -hmm. necessarily going to know to ask those questions. They're going to do exactly what Rita described, which is like, hey, you relapsed. Okay, so we'll go to a meeting tonight. And this is like Rita attempted to do these things. Mm -hmm. We'll go to a meeting tonight. You got to start back at that step one. We'll kind of go through all these stages. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, that's that's what we do next in this situation. Mm -hmm. But Rita really stayed with Brooke and went deep and and tried to make it work with her on the level Brooke was looking for whether that was good for Brooke or not you know we could we could talk about but yeah but it was really interesting to see that sort of sponsor sponsee relationship but in a very like practically therapy session kind of dynamic well and I have often said to people like mental health care doesn't have to be therapy some people have moms or sponsors or friends who are very good, quote unquote, therapists. Absolutely. (laughs) However, they are not therapists, most of them. And they're definitely not your therapist because that would be unethical. And I think the important piece of like, yes, mental health care doesn't have to be therapy, but it's really important to know when it does need to be. So with Rita, she you kind of said like, I don't know if what she did is necessarily like good for Brooke. And I'm like, I think it is for her role. However, she can't treat 
Brooke's trauma. She can't treat Brooke's grief. And at that point, Brooke really needs a therapist, which then leads us into her being her own therapist. But like it gets to the point where what she's getting from alcohol and what she's getting from Adam and what she's getting from Rita are simply just not enough. And I think that's the one important piece for each person is like you need to know when your self-care approaches reach the limit of I can't do this alone. And I and I yep. actually need a professional to do it with me. I can't just rely on my friends and things like that. Yeah, or or my ability to give therapy to myself. Yeah, let's go there because that was okay. wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we see this sort of arc of Brooke trying to use whatever support Rita is willing to give her and sort of struggle through her sobriety. And then finally Rita, you know, really sets this boundary and is essentially like, you know what, call me when you're ready. And she kind of leaves and Brooke is left to manage things on her own, which mm-hmm. leads directly into her more or less giving herself therapy. Mm-hmm. More or less? <laughs> she well, was literally giving we herself therapy recording. in the show. Well, right. It's like, yeah. it's like how much of this is, is are we artistic. expected to sort of see as like what's happening versus what's artistic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I definitely think that it was artistic, right? I kind of shared as we were speaking about it, it starts with her looking out the window, talking to herself and then ends with her looking mm-hmm. out the window. So I think that was representing that she never actually sat down. But sure. I also think it was a really good way to represent internalized voices. We do talk ourselves into and out of things. We do talk ourselves through things. And oftentimes the way that we do that is with internalized voices. This came up in the in the Soul episode where the character was in some room where all of her former mentors were like yelling at her. And we do that and we hope that, you know, the voices that we internalize are kind and supportive and guiding. And mm-hmm. I have occasionally heard from patients who will just send me an email years later, not expecting, you know, a back and forth, but just to say like, hey, I still think about the work that we did together. I still hear your voice in my head. Like, thank you so much. And I think that's kind of what's happening here is is Brooke is the voice inside her head. And even at one point she goes, thanks, Rita. And so what that represents is to her her therapist self. Yeah. She's internalized Rita's voice as well. So I think that that was like a really cool artistic way to represent that. But the like depths that she gets to, I don't know that one can therapize oneself that much. Right. I would agree. Uh, But I I like what you said about sort of representing sort of different sides of self-talk. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're a DBT person, but it felt a little bit like, so in DBT, we have this sort of concept called the wise mind, which is Mm -hmm. basically like the intersection of the emotion mind, which is the sort of part of your brain that is fully into its emotions and not Mm -hmm. not is in opposition to logic, but it's just sort of like, Whatever the feeling is, like we're going with that, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it felt like Brooke on the couch was. And then mm-hmm. we had the sort of therapist Brooke, which was a little bit more what we would call like a logic mind, mm-hmm. where it's the not that therapists are unemotional, but it's just sort of like reflecting and pointing out and analyzing and asking questions. And the sort of meeting of those two I thought was really interesting in the sense that it was helping Brooke process uh, her emotions, but in a way that was 
productive and not mm-hmm. just at the bottom of a whiskey glass. Yep. Yeah. She wasn't escaping them, right? She was processing exactly. them. Hiding, yeah. avoiding. Yeah. 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 Sure. And then like really nicely at the end of it, reaches for a glass and decides not to, mm-hmm. which is a nice moment for us. Unfortunately, the next episode, it turns back again. But I use the phrase with my patients all the time, like of two minds. You know, when you are feeling torn between what you want to do and what you're afraid of or where your values lie versus where your fears lie. That's generally where a lot of like my work comes in because I'm mm, yeah. Because I'm an act therapist. So it's a lot of like fear versus value, which was interesting because they in this episode said something about like the two emotions are fear and love. And I was like, oh. That's not that far from me being like fear versus value. <laughs> that was so that was super interesting. But I think I've shared before in an episode that the way that I often describe therapy to my patients is they are the central character of their play. And while they get to kind of decide how it goes, and there's other characters on the stage with them who can also see what's going on, the thing about a therapist is we're sitting out in the crowd and we can see the whole stage because we're not in the play. And that's why I kind of think that like a therapist can't fully therapize themselves because we're in our own play, right? We're the lead character of our own play. And so, you know, we can be really aware of what's going on in the play, but like we can't step outside of it because we're in it, which this kind of suggested that like, you know, internalized Brooke, therapist Brooke, was like seeing something else, you know, like, oh, you haven't brought your mother up in weeks. Mm. I don't know that Brooke would have been able to do that for herself because not bringing her mother up is such a natural defense for her that it doesn't feel weird. So she wouldn't call it out as weird. She would need somebody else to call it out as weird. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the distinction and and you know, I think I've I've had people ask me sort of like maybe not directly, but sort of infer that like oh, like therapists must just be able to kind <laughs> mm-hmm. of prevent these sorts of experiences from happening, right? Because oh, like you know all the the different tricks and I think even Brooke says at some point like oh, I could use coping skills and I could meditate and I could do this and I could do that, but I'd still I think I don't know if she said I would still feel this pain or I'd still be mm-hmm. stuck. And I think that's that's good self-awareness that mm-hmm. you know what she was capable of doing is not really wasn't really going to address the intensity of what she was experiencing in that moment. So even knowing the sort of tricks of the trade is not always enough. Yeah, no, those are skills, right? You can, you've got the tools. and, And I definitely think there, yes, there are certain things that I can do quote unquote better than my patients can, but that's just because I've been doing them longer. Not because I have some kind of like magical insight. It's the stuff that I'm teaching them, right? Acceptance and values identifying and intention and those kind of things. The only reason I do it more naturally is because I've done it for eight years. They've done it for eight weeks, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's not that I suddenly have this huge ability to therapize myself. I just am able to employ the skills that I'm teaching my patients. And and so when you get to a point in your life, like Brooke is, like she's, I think she's aware that things aren't great. She kind of keeps saying that they're fine, 
but I think she's aware that she knows they're not great. That's the moment where she wouldn't be able to therapize herself. She would definitely need right. somebody to be able to say something like, hey, you haven't brought your mom up. And that's kind of weird. Yeah. And, and in that sense, it was a really interesting therapy session to observe where mm-hmm. you weren't kind of sure where it was going to go, but where it ended up at was, I don't know if you would say Brooke had, a, had like a breakthrough, but she definitely got to a deeper emotional depth and sort of self-awareness or, or sort of tapped into some of that emotional awareness than, mm-hmm. than we had seen throughout the whole series. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. But it's also the first moment, right? You said this earlier. It's the first moment that she actually sat with her feelings and thought about them and processed them. Yes. Rather than yes. drinking or saying to Rita, let's ignore these. Mm-hmm. Or avoiding, I think at some point she like avoids calls from Paul Weston, her supervisor. There's a lot of like her avoiding, avoiding, avoiding in various ways. And then this episode, the one where we have the first real kind of insight is when she kind of admits, literally admits to herself that she is struggling with things. There was a moment right now, I just thought of it, which is why the like sudden left turn, but she said something like, oh, you would have been a 15-year-old mother. And the therapist (laughs) says back to her, no, you would have been a 15-year-old mother. And I think that that's huge and really actually well represented. We will often like kind of fragment ourselves to be like, oh, the version of me back then or the past Haley or future Haley, we say these things as though they are different people, but you are you in every point in your life. You are your own context. And I think that that's really powerful to like for her to have been like, no, that's your experience. That's not some other experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see Brooke kind of wrestle with these different things. And all the while, she's also dealing with these really big life questions around, does she want to have a baby? Does mm-hmm. she want to uh, meet her son, who she did have when she was 15, right? Mm-hmm. And we see her start to confront some of these things through these other lenses, right? Through her relationship with her sponsor, Mm -hmm. through her self-therapy session, and then through her relationship with Adam, her, Mm -hmm. should we say boyfriend, I guess, right? It's not totally identified that way, but I guess they've known each other for long enough that they might refer to each other as partners or something to that extent. Yeah. And and that relationship, which Rita describes as enabling, which in the mm-hmm. AA world is a pretty harsh criticism. It's basically like this guy's bad news or at the very least is bad news for you. Mm-hmm. So we see her kind of weave in and out of this relationship and and sort of, you know, wrestle with, is this the right person for her? the extent to which he does have an impact on her alcohol use Mm -hmm. and then you know the degree to which they want to have a future together so it's interesting that that's where this season ends is sort Mm -hmm. of on this relationship not really on Brooke as a therapist at all yeah why this is not surprising to me is a few episodes in I kind of started being like is loneliness the worst emotion like i started having this like Mm. existential like pondering i guess like philosophical pondering of like is loneliness the worst feeling 
And then what starts to happen that comes out is Brooke starts to like very clearly be like, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And, you know, even in the final episode, the, when she reaches for the drink is after Adam says, um, who needs Paul and Rita? So what he's done is he said, mm. like, y- you have no one is essentially what he says in that moment. Yeah. And so then this final episode to me made it pretty clear that they are not great fit for each other. Like, she doesn't meet his needs and he doesn't meet her needs, but at very least she's lonely and he's there and willing to be there. And kind of has been there for a long time for her in the yeah. sense of like, you know, she talks about, you know, what it was, what young Brooke was like. And, uh-huh. and that's when he was there too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, he's this like remedy for her loneliness and he's been there, which means he can be there long term like she knows that he can weather yep. the storm whatever it may look like but also there's hints that he's lonely too because he kind of said like oh i don't like you and you're sober because that's when you leave right right and so this kind of ending to me was them kind of both choosing their loneliness well i guess the very final thing is she like reaches out i guess for you know, sponsor and obviously to to get sober again. And so then it's like, is she leaving him again? Right? Because she's sober. Is there is that like foreshadowing that she will leave him mm. that I can't speak to? But yeah, to me that the this last episode was a very like, yeah, they were both there, but they both felt like that they weren't there either. You know? To me it to me it felt very lonely. And literally my last note is, hmm, okay. <laughs> that was like my yeah. last note because it it kind of felt like they both just I don't like the word settled because there's a lot of like cultural narrative around that word but they it truly feels sure. like they both just kind of like melted into what was already there yeah and and maybe not settled in terms of a partner choice but settled in terms of like a life path yeah right where okay you know what yeah i do want to meet my son but maybe that now takes a, a back burner to us wanting to have a baby or to you know be working on these other things yeah it's it's tough because you know anytime in in recovery language if you're talking about someone being an enabler and you see someone sort of committing to that relationship is always a huge warning sign Mm -hmm. and i think adam does try to kind of separate himself and and try to not take ownership for the role that he plays in brooks drinking and i think he's he's well within his right to do that he you know to, to, to sort of defend himself he's not i think he says something to the extent of like i'm not forcing I'm not you to drink i'm not yeah. that's right well so yeah so that's and and that's like a very shaming statement as well mm-hmm. he might not quote unquote be the alcoholic but he's also the one saying like oh well, you can't drink this really nice glass of wine in a water glass like mm-hmm. so it's like hyping up the drinking too so it's all these things going on between the two of them that they're not exactly contributing to each other's best behavioral choices yeah and he basically he says in that moment like oh i don't struggle with alcohol therefore your struggle is not has nothing to do with me like, doesn't have anything to do and, to, yeah, that's right yeah. Yeah, yeah and sure he's he's not wrong her choices are her own however like yep. you do play a role in the relationships that you're in right and if somebody sets this boundary of being sober you don't offer them a drink when you go to get one 
especially when it seems like the person has asked you not to, right? So he says, would you like anything? And she said, please stop asking me that. Mm-hmm. And he also, she has expressed that she wants to be sober. She reaches for the bottle of wine. And instead of saying like, hey, as someone who loves and cares for you, do you truly want this? And if that in that moment she's like, yes, then he's like, all right, here's the wine. Instead of doing that, he does the, you know, no, 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 wait, put it in a real glass, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Which for a moment there, I was like, what? We're seeing a new side yeah. of him. And then we didn't see a new side of him. But also he kind of clearly wants different from her as well. Because he kind of says to her, I'm fine if you just call me up every so often. I don't need anything from you. But then also like is disappointed when she doesn't want to have a child with him. So there's this kind mm -hmm. of like weird, again, neither of them are getting their needs met by the other person, but are both kind of fine with it. Not in a like comfortable fine, but in a just letting it be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's sort of like the easy way out. I mean, and I hate to, to call it that, but it's, you know, it's again, this sort of yeah. Um, context that comes up a lot of in in recovery, which is sort of uh, the path of least resistance or or um, mm -hmm. instant gratification. It's like, well, this is something I think I want right now, so I'll just keep doing this, whether it's drinking or staying in a relationship that might not totally be healthy, you know, or or maintaining really poor boundaries in your professional relationships. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think everything that she struggles with personally is so clearly represented in how her work changes or I guess how her work is represented but it it also actually makes some of the things worse right like I, I don't know if I mentioned this already but the drink that she has with Colin like oh my goodness like so much worse mm -hmm. kind of sharing that she's having drinks between sessions and then meanwhile when she's talking to Rita she had said I would never let it interfere with my work and clearly it is interfering, both in the fact that she, as you mentioned in one of the, I think it was in Collins, you kind of said like her coping mechanism after each of these sessions is is getting more and more extreme each time. And what it was getting closer to was alcohol. And so yep. clearly they're not unrelated. And, and as a therapist, part of your ethical responsibility is to be aware of how your stuff may be negatively impacting your patients. Not that you aren't allowed to have stuff, but how is my stuff affecting my patients? Yeah, managing your stuff. <laughs> yep, yeah, and Brooke does not do it at all. I mean, we've talked about right. that for three episodes before this, right? Me yes. being like, what is this woman doing? And this gives more context. Yeah. However, to me, it's it almost in some ways kind of makes the way that she's working with her patients slightly more dangerous to me mm. because it's not just that she's not a great therapist. It's that she is not doing it well enough, <laughs> right? Like she has the skill to do it, oh, but yeah. she's like letting her stuff mm -hmm. get in the way, which to me is almost like, I kind of just wish she was a bad therapist across the board. <laughs> right right but she's doing a disservice yeah uh-huh and but has the skills and the way about her of doing it well and so it makes me wonder like is it a little bit gaslighty 
right? Like she comes across as a good therapist, mm. but then lets her stuff in kind of like sneakily, like a secret guest. Especially with all the transference that we talked about the last couple episodes. Yeah. 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 So for me, it, it becomes even more clear. You know, we talked about boundaries a lot with Brooke that, you know, with everything she the whole conversation of the self-therapy is just like, oh, this is a person that needs to be in therapy. Yeah. You know, and it's great that she has a sponsor. It's great that she sort of has a supervisor she used to work with. But this person is dealing with a lot of very current, intense, emotional stuff. Yeah. And and that is impacting her at work. Um, mm -hmm. And it is impacting her self-care choices. Yeah. And I mean, that with me was the biggest takeaway is like, oh, yeah. You know, given the artistic choices of having her doing a self-therapy session, all but confirmed, this is a person who needs therapy right now, yep. who needs the exact support that she, at least to a certain degree, was effectively giving people throughout the season. Yeah. Well, it suggests that she is capable of giving people what they need. Of course. I, I don't think yeah. that she is yeah. giving them what they need because of her stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, it's, it's borderline at best. Yeah. 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 But I think she's capable of it, particularly, let's say that she wasn't giving therapy to herself. In that moment, mm -hmm. she's a great therapist. Like the questions she that asks. a great therapy session. Yeah. I was like, this is the therapist we want. And so that shows you that she can do it. Yeah. I think it's really beautifully summed up by her insight into her relationship with her mother. And what she said was, she didn't really take care of herself. So therefore, she didn't really take care of me. Yeah. And I think that, yes, absolutely right. Brooke, you know, baby Brooke needed so much more care and right. love. <laughs> yeah. And also, that sums up exactly what's happening particularly with Eladio, but with all of her patients, which is she's not really taking care of herself. So how much can she really take care of her patients? Mm. You know, they even yep. reference the like, put your own, you know, oxygen mask on first, which I'm like, oh, we really need to stop using that metaphor. But it's we true. We need a new metaphor. Yeah. 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 You yeah. know, like if you pass out, you, nobody's getting their mask put on. So put yours right. on first so that you can make sure that everybody else gets theirs on. Brooke is not. She's just pretending that the plane's not going down. Yeah. Yeah. So so we we have more empathy and understanding for Brooke. Yeah. And we, you know, I think we see in the sort of last moments of the season, this sort of sign of hope, ignoring the hopefully not dubious relationship decisions. Mm. You know, she calls up Rita and she says, I'm ready. And I think Rita basically says like, Thank God, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's do the work, right? Let's let's get back to this. Yeah. So I think we're we're left with this sign of hope that Brooke has some increased self awareness, whether because of her self therapy session or mm -hmm. dancing in the living room with Adam, all these different things, sort of like bringing out some different stuff for her, recognizing that you know if she's going to get what she wants in life, that is good. It's going to take some some work. It's going to take some pain processing. Yeah. I mean, she's already got the pain. All she needs now is the processing. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So Haley, with with that being the end of our sort of multi-month uh, observation <laughs> of Dr. Taylor, what other takeaways do you have about this person as a therapist, this person as a person? Sort of what else are you left with now that we've kind of wrapped up our uh, time with her? 
Yeah, I think I hadn't realized it until we were talking, but I think she's capable of being a really good therapist, which is funny because obviously if you had asked me that pretty much at any other time, I'd be like, no, name one thing that she's done well for Mm -hmm. more than a moment. Right. But I think there were enough moments with mostly Layla, a little bit Colin, and less so Eladio, where they were good moments. And then when we saw this, her doing therapy on herself, there were like really good moments in there. However, like I said, she's because she's not doing her own therapy, the therapy that she's doing kind of becomes her own therapy, even though it's focused on somebody else, which yeah. It's not great for her or for her patients and and hopefully she can get herself back on on track to be the therapist that it seems like she can be and if not hopefully she doesn't get well oh, I don't know if hope, hopefully but she may get reported because these are kind of the things that can get one's license taken away. Right. So there there could be a whole other sort of list of complications for for Brooke in the coming uh days and weeks Mm -hmm. but i think i think you're right and that we are supposed to kind of be leaving our time with her in a way of seeing her as like oh if only she can maintain the boundaries she was supposed to have all along Mm -hmm. she's fully capable of doing great work both for herself and for her patients right in terms of building and maintaining those boundaries with the people that support her in her life Mm -hmm. as well as you know being able to kind of leave her stuff at the door and and be there and be able to support her patients. Yeah. So I, I try to have hope for her. I think all those sort of skills and things are, are in there. And, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be a, a season five and we'll get to see what happens <laughs> next. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, the last beat is a hopeful beat. So I think it it suggests yeah. that we'll go in that direction. And and so, yeah. Yeah. So Want to do reviews? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's let's wrap up our time with in treatment with one more round of reviews. Okay. Well, I've got one for you. On a scale from 0 to 5 lunar eclipses, I think it was. Oh, nice. Sure. How accurate overall do you think the representation of kind of everyone's mental health was Brooke's mental Mm. health as well as kind of treatment in general. Yeah. So I have to say, I think seeing the background of what was going on for Brooke made all of this season a little bit more accurate for me Uh in the sense that therapists are human. Therapists Mm -hmm. are going through stuff inside and outside of sessions and that will as a result affect their work. Um, Mm -hmm. So to that end, I think in previous episodes, I gave this not great scores on accuracy because I felt like, oh, my God, who would do these things? But now I think we got a little bit of the answer to that. We, we see who would do these things. Uh-huh. So to that end, I, I give in treatment, I'm going to give them a 3.9 on accuracy. Okay. Nice. I still have some concerns about some different aspects of uh, what we saw and and how it was portrayed, but uh-huh. but overall, I do appreciate the the dive into the therapist's life in a way mm-hmm. that I think well represented the things that might be causing problems in the working relationships. Yeah, 
Absolutely. That's so funny because I was thinking like four and I was like, but four just feels a little bit too high. So the fact that you went 3.9, I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so funny. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. One thing that we didn't jump into that I think was yeah, oh, really sure. beautiful that you had mentioned and I think is nice for us to chat about is that mm. the way that you and I watched it was like one person at a time. And so each time we only got like snippets of Brooke's life until this very end round. And you had kind of created a metaphor for that with what it's like being a therapist and only getting snippets of a patient's life. And what I really liked about that was what you and I realized is we kind of got a lot of her story. If not every single detail, we got the the general theme of her story by just these snippets throughout the weeks. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor for therapy, which is, yeah, I only see you once a week for an hour, but if you give me enough of the snippets of your life, I'll probably be able to understand your general story. But also there were snippets that you and I did not see that weren't given to us and we would never have thought about that. And that also represents therapy, which is if you don't tell us, we're not going to know because mm -hmm. we're not in your day-to-day -day life. Well, right. And this sort of theme of honesty came up a lot with Brooke. You know, why didn't she tell Rita about relapsing? Why uh -huh. didn't she tell Adam about taking the morning after pill? And I think those are, are great examples of people withholding information that's painful for them to sit with or painful mm -hmm. for them to admit. But that's the stuff that's so valuable in a therapeutic relationship for yeah. us to be able to not not even just understand you but help you help yourself help mm -hmm. you do the work yeah so that's why i think rita is so understandably concerned and even offended at why why brooke would lie to her mm -hmm. about that stuff that if anywhere she would hope that that's their relationship would be able to kind of tolerate even that that painful truth yeah yeah. So, you know, be be honest to your therapists. It, it's only good for, for the work that's trying yeah. to be accomplished. <laughs> Even if the honesty is that you have something that you want to talk about, but it's hard for you to talk about. Like that's sometimes a good Absolutely. place to go too. Yeah. Just to be able to say there's something that I'm dealing with right now that I don't know how to talk about or that's too hard for me to talk about. Like that is such valuable information. And I would yeah. much rather hear that than, yeah, you know, everything's fine. You know, uh -huh. the usual. Yeah. Because we can work with that. We can yeah. work with that discomfort and that uncertainty for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, so Haley, I'm going to ask you on a scale of, let's say, I don't know who the, oh man, they, they, played some great music that was the one saving grace of the last episode with brooke and adam where he mentioned g love and special sauce which uh -huh. if you don't know is a is a great artist that everyone should go and check out so let's just say on a scale of g love to special sauce <laughs> how entertaining did you find this particular arc of in treatment and then we can do in general as well geez what's halfway between g love and special sauce <laughs> i know it's intentionally i uh, left it wide arbitrary. open arbitrary that's funny i would give it a g low <laughs> okay there you go yeah which is glow funnily enough for yeah. <laughs> this specific arc i it may have been due to the fact that this has taken you and I three months to complete and I've been just like sitting within treatment for three months. And that might be why I was like a little bit like, oh, I'm over it. 
I just kind of want this story to be over. But also, like, I do like that we got to see more of Brooke's stuff, right? Like, that we got to create a context for the stuff that was the therapy stuff that was frustrating. And I think I had said in a mm-hmm. previous episode, like when you know somebody's story, it makes it easier to like them. And I think that that's definitely the case with this is like, it's easier to have compassion for the things that have driven me crazy over our last three episodes, <laughs> because I kind of saw her, but for the like, overall entertainment value of, of the whole season, Last week, I would have given it a pretty low score. This week, it made the whole season more entertaining, which is interesting. Yeah. Carmen was only going to watch Layla, but once she started, she's like, I had to know the whole story. So I watched them all. (laughs) And she's like, I loved it. And I was like, really? (laughs) You loved it? But today I was like, oh, I get it. I get how this would be different if we had seen everything all at once because Brooke's context makes her so much more likable, which makes the work that she does so much more bearable, which makes it more entertaining for somebody who is watching it as a therapist. I wonder if I hadn't Mm -hmm. watched it as a therapist. I just watched it as a Joe Schmo. (laughs) Not that non-therapists are Joe Schmoes. Oh no, that's awful. Um, If I had just watched it as, you know, somebody who's not a therapist, It might have been completely different, but yeah, I rambled for a long time. But I think individually, her story and each of the other stories, not super entertaining as a whole. I think they're super entertaining when intertwined. Yes, I totally agree. And I think it was unique uh, for us to kind of stay with one therapist and stay with one arc for such a long time. But I think it was also sort of a nice uh, a nice shift in that we could dive really deep into the nitty gritty uh-huh. therapy that was being done. But I think we were, bo- were both looking forward to some <laughs> just like non-therapy, just like pulpy entertainment stuff that we're going to break down for no other reason than we are wanting to watch something. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a fascinating ride within treatment, but we are very excited to do some new stuff in the new year. So thank you for sticking with us and and listening to us break down this series. And we have some exciting stuff on the docket for 2022. Yeah, for sure. We will be covering um, Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. Mm -hmm. I believe we're also hoping to cover The Shrink Next Door, which is going to be on Apple TV. So make sure you catch up on those series between now and 2022 and we uh, can't wait to talk to you then yeah happy new year happy new year (laughs) we'll talk to you next year